monsters. They exist among us, and sometimes they win. Even the devil was an angel once. The world has its own rules, and these rules are not human. Some of us seek answers to the origin and existence of cryptids and the unexplained. Join us as we venture beyond the known and accepted boundaries. Welcome to our nightmare. I think you're going to like it. Where we explore the strange and unexplained. I'm your host, Lon Stricker. Thanks for joining me. Now, if you enjoy our content, and uh, then please subscribe, uh, hit the like button, and share our presentations. And, and please feel feel free to uh, comment as well. Um, Super chat is uh, active during the show, so please show your support for Fans of Monsters Radio by clicking the dollar icon under the chat. You can support the channel by uh, clicking Super Thanks icon or buy me a coffee. Uh, consideration is is very much needed and appreciated. So tonight's guest, Carol Scott, developed an interest in cryptozoology after catching a late night episode of Animal X. This interest in her previous work in journalism led to her research and write her first book, The Cryptids of Asia and Oceania, the Myths and Historical Roots of Undiscovered Creatures. She currently works in marketing and lives with her two cats, Wallace and Asparagus, in Ontario, Canada. So, uh, Carol, thanks for joining me this evening. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you for the great introduction. So, uh, you kind of took a big swing uh, getting cryptids from Asia and Oceania. Uh, you know... Uh, <laughs> When you talk about cryptozoology, most people in the United States kind of think North America is the only place that these things are. Uh, but, of course, that's just not true. We, we've gotten all kinds of strange encounters and sightings throughout the world. So, uh, so what inspired you to do this anyway? Yeah, a lot of it was just the, the you know, the focus on cryptids in North America um, and Loch Ness Monster. And you also have a couple in Australia that are also definitely popular, the thylacine and um, the yaoi. But I really wanted to, you know, provide a baseline knowledge for all the other cryptids that aren't covered as much. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was really the main, the main focus of the book is just to look at those gather Every little be- every little bit of evidence I could find, and really just provide the foundation for further research into those cryptids. Mm-hmm. And you know, I definitely hope that you know if, if someone reads this and goes, "Oh, I want to study this particular cryptid more." That was always my goal: is just to get more people interested in this the cryptids from this part of the world, and hopefully you know, kind of develop a more worldwide sense of cryptozoology. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of cover a, a large area with Asia, then Oceania, you know, and I've always been interested in Oceania, just necessarily for cryptids, but for a lot of other things. 
<laughs> but uh, the you know the, the islands and the areas, countries in the, those areas, they they offer all kinds of opportunities for different types of research, even into paranormal, UFO, and all of that. Uh, so when you got involved with this, what surprises did you find? What uh, were there anything that popped up that kind of kind of surprised you? There was a number of things. I think the overwhelming. Uh, a, a common theme with pretty much every cryptid was just the lack of preservation of evidence of testimonials about cryptids in this mm-hmm. part of the world. Even something like the Yeti, um, which obviously is a very well-known cryptid. I, I, you know, I'm pretty sure everyone knows that whether they're into cryptozoology or not. A lot of the research that you could find basically starts in the 20th century as soon as Western mountaineers get there. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of focus on, you know, what what were people who live around that area seeing? Um, how long have they been seeing it? Uh, are there any differences between reports from locals and reports from Westerners? And that that's something that comes up a lot is just preservation of the yeah preservation of evidence um and it it did make research very hard in in some respects a lot of it was you know having to go through very old texts having to get access to them if they even existed Mm -hmm. Um, one of the cryptids in the book uh the netawo the primary document from which we know about them uh, there's actually only one uh, one physical copy that has never been digitally archived. And it's it's falling apart, according to a researcher that I spoke to from the area. So that's definitely something where, you know, like that, e- even, even le- le- let's, let's pretend that none of these cryptids exist. That's still part of the human experience of that area that should be preserved. And then, you know, it, assuming these cryptids exist, there's definitely, we would want to know how their behavior has changed. How long have they been in the area? Has anything changed? Like that's just something you would want to know once you discover a creature. And a lot of that is not preserved. And a lot of it isn't archived. A lot of it isn't digitized. And that's definitely major blind spot on the part of not, not only cryptozoologists, I'm not trying to place blame on, you know, people who basically do this in their spare time, mm-hmm. but also, you know, scientific researchers, um, archivists, uh, you know, going back to the Netawo and it's like, you know, you would think like this pretty, pretty interesting piece of history wouldn't necessarily just be sitting around decaying. And, you know, like that, I, I, I honestly felt very sad when the researcher told me that. And I, I was like, wow, we should absolutely be preserving that. Yeah. I, well, I want to thank Peace for her, uh, her donation. Very much appreciated. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I think a lot of people were surprised uh, are, are surprised when information with some of these, um, some of these cryptids from other other countries come forth and, and 
in documentaries or even you know even in science you know just like the the eva go 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 that was actually documented in a film about oh, about a decade ago how how much of a stir there was with that uh and, and other human human hominid type of uh cryptids uh, of course yes. we've got them all over the place i mean of course australia like you said has the alley and the uh, almas the amasti yeti urine and i mean there's a whole slew of them and um the rock apes and and other types of sightings uh i mean which kind of fascinate me but the the ibu gogo i thought was quite fascinating the the small hominid type beings that that these villagers were very much aware of and were somewhat fearful of and uh when that documentary came out and i forget what the name of it was but I had written about it. It was it was a fascinating documentary, and the individual who who did the actual research did a fantastic job. But every once in a while, we one of those some of those things do come forth, um, and you know there are several cryptozoologists that you know that have been involved with this that we know of who have gone uh, in Asia. The first person I think of is uh, is. Uh, Freeman uh, from UK, who's actually does this a lot, and uh, there are others, of course. But uh, it's um, it's fascinating. So, uh, is it is there one in particular group or species that has has fascinated you when you started going into all this research? Yeah, one of the cryptids that has always fascinated me, and this goes back to the very old days of watching Animal X was mm-hmm. um, the thylacine. A lot of that is just, oh. I think they're pretty neat and I would like for them to still be around. But what are your you know, thoughts on that? You think they do exist yet? I I do think that they are still in Tasmania. Um, I, yeah, I, I definitely do think at least a small population is still there. And, you know, like there's enough people who have seen, Things that don't, it doesn't line up with dingoes. It doesn't line up with, you know, domesticated dogs. So it's either, it's either, you know, small population of thylacines or it's something else, which I guess is also interesting, but I would prefer thylacines if I had to choose. Yeah. yeah it, it seems that the, uh, the thylacine are for people who don't know who they are, they are the, uh, the uh, Tasmanian tigers. They're, um, you know, for the most part, a lot of them have been supposed to be seen in Australia. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of researchers who believe that there are some population in Australia as well. Uh, I don't know. Um, I have seen possible f- images or photographs of these things. It's hard to tell if they're, they're actual. But um, I, have, I have talked to a few people who claim that they have seen them. Uh, they thought they seen them. So I don't know. Right. I think I think... As time goes on, we'll, we'll find out more and more. Um, you know, Australia, just like most places, is just not as wide open as it used to be. You know, people are encroaching on these wild areas, the bush in particular. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe we will be lucky enough to see one or have one recorded. Yeah, def- definitely very possible. And, you know, like you said, there's definitely a lot of encroachment on wild territory, but there is still comparatively a lot of wild territory that doesn't necessarily uh, get 
you know, explored too often. It is explored, but, you know, there's not necessarily people going in pretty frequently, which does provide that, you know, like the plausibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, is there any part of the book uh, or anything you've written about that you really want to emphasize on that you really want to talk about in particular? Yeah, I actually, one of the most interesting cryptids that I covered in the book, uh, the, the Netawo, I, I did already bring them up, but it, it's such a fascinating story um, of one of the indigenous tribes on Sri Lanka. And they claim that there was another tribe of, you know, hairy, hairy beasts with like very long nails that would, you know, just steal their kills, you know, just generally cause havoc. So this indigenous tribe said, well, we don't want to deal with these, whatever they are anymore. Mm -hmm. So they rounded them all up into a cave and lit a fire at the mouth of the cave. And basically in the legend, all the, um, the Netuo just, you know, suffocated to death. And uh, basically it was a huge genocide of the Netuo. And I, you know, I was just, it's such a fascinating story that I had just never heard before. Um, And there's, you know, one of the interesting things is, you know, like there's a lot of debate over whether they're monkeys, you know, just another, you know, you know, smaller monkeys, if they're apes, if they were even another, you know, Neanderthal type hominid. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, which definitely adds a different layer to the, um, you know, killing all of them uh, talk. So it, it's definitely very interesting. And it, it's relatively recently that that occurred. Um, Bernard Hubbleman's did write about um, the event in On the Track of Unknown Animals and estimated that it took place at about 1800 you know, he was still talking to people whose parents had said that either they were involved or their own parents were involved. Um, and that's, you know, I, I, you know, that's, and I just found that fascinating that something could occur like that pretty recently, all things considered, be written about by the cryptozoologist. And I had just never heard about it before until I started, you know, scouring for, any cryptid to put in the book. Yeah, there are, uh, you know, um, I, I always go back to uh, the Vietnam War and the um, some of the stories that have come out of there, you know, of course, like the rock apes. And then there have been these reptilian beings, the flying bat woman and a few other things that have been, you know, you know, a lot of that could be folklore, but these soldiers swear they have seen these things. And uh, I have talked to a few. And uh, even I even talked to an older guy who's a vet over in Vietnam who said that there were a few upright canine species there as well that he his uh, his platoon had to deal with at one point. So, um it's quite it's quite interesting um you know i i i don't know i i just i it's hard for me to believe maybe 
But uh, I know that they um, that a lot of the indigenous people they know about it, but very rarely do they want to talk about it. You know, now my my forte for the most part is the the wing beings, the flying the flying cryptids, and they're the ones I'm most fascinated with. And uh, the uh, in fact, I got a picture of of the uh, the flying Vietnamese Vietnam woman or whatever they want a bat woman they want to call. And uh, yeah, there was uh, there was a sergeant or someone a platoon leader who actually recorded that, talked about it. And um, <clears throat> there have been others, of course. In the Philippines, there's there's quite a few of these uh, <laughs> bat uh, bat like vampire large beings. Uh, Philippines seems to have a whole slew of these things, these different types, and you know, it's it's part of their lore too as well as Indonesia and some of the other larger islands. So, uh, you know, I, 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 like you, I, I find, I find it absolutely fascinating and we are always looking for information on winged, uh, winged humanoids, uh, throughout the world, not just here in North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. there's definitely quite, I was, I was quite surprised by how many winged hominids that there were, um, some some of them definitely veer much more into folklore. Um, in Malaysia, there is the gotta check the name real fast, and I'm probably gonna uh, mispronounce this, so I apologize to <laughs> any Malaysian viewers. Uh, but the Sigawa, which was it was quite interesting because you know it, there was definitely the component of you know this is the scary story that you tell your kids, but there was also element of you know the spanish colonialists going oh you know like these are you know the the un, undesirable people who live in the woods and yeah. using that as like a tactic on the indigenous people of malaysia so it, that was that was quite interesting to look into and i'm, I'm surprised there hasn't been more um you know research from a I guess, you know, not necessarily necessarily zoological, but, you know, just kind of looking into the folklore behind that. I, I definitely couldn't find a lot, although there was one book that had a whole chapter on it that was quite fun to read. But um, and. Yeah, so, I, yeah, definitely very surprised by how many winged hominids that there were. There was quite a few other winged creatures. Um as well, the Ropin is probably the most well-known. So I figure most people who are into cryptozoology would would know that one. So yeah, that's the Ropin is an interesting one. I mean, uh, actually, that's my interest in pterodons and pterosaurs actually was the research that was over, taking place over in uh, Papua New Guinea with the Ropins. That's mm-hmm. quite an interesting thing. Thing. I mean, it's been, there have been you know, some type of luminescence to them when they see them. And, um, yeah, that, that you know, and, of course, we have had these pterosaur sightings throughout North America as well. And uh, I just find that fascinating. And, um, oh, I got a question here from uh, Nancy Malcolm. Are there any sightings of ghost monkeys that you know? 
So not necessarily ghost monkeys. I, I assume it's something along the lines of monkeys that aren't in the correct place um, as mm -hmm. opposed to paranormal monkeys. Um, although if, if that is what you mean, I, I apologize. I, I'm not too familiar with the more, you know, ghost phantoms um, side of it, mm -hmm. but there are, there are several out of place monkeys uh, that, definitely came up. One of them was the monkey man of new Delhi, which mm -hmm. is covered in the India chapter. So that was basically, um, one summer, I believe it was 2006. Mm -hmm. Um, just everyone was reporting this monkey that was just harassing people. Uh, it was quite interesting to read because there was a lot of different theories about it. One of them was that it was a robot programmed by terrorists to, <laughs> you know, I had heard people. that one. <laughs> Yeah, um, there, there, there was definitely some fun theories that came up with several of the cryptids, but uh, terrorist terrorist monkey was definitely one of the one of the most interesting. Well, I think um, there was a death or two associated with those things too, where they had yes, got yes. come onto people's balconies, mm -hmm. and I don't know, had somehow there was a there'd be a death associated with it, but. Uh, yeah, you know when that happened, I I, re I actually remember when it started. The story started coming out. I had written about it a couple of times, and uh, yeah, the New Delhi Monkey Man. I you know that and and some of the drawings that people were coming up with were pretty profound. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, that was quite an interesting cryptid. Absolutely. Yeah, another one was there was actually a monkey species in Singapore, uh, which is a pretty small island nation that doesn't have a lot of mm -hmm. forests. So definitely quite interesting that there was even, you know, one of the cryptid primates on that island. Um, there was not a ton of reports for that after a certain, I believe 2009, mm -hmm. but you know, it, it's definitely still interesting. And that could genuinely be one of those, uh, you know, occasions where, someone just released a pet monkey or, <laughs> or something <laughs> along those lines. Um, I know normally those explanations aren't too popular, but, um, you know, like Singapore, <laughs> very small. <laughs> it's not supporting yeah. population. Yeah. And it's yeah. mostly, it's mostly urban anyway. It's not a yeah. whole lot of, uh, not a lot of forest. Andrew Boyle asks, uh, any mermaid sightings? You know, we got a lot of mermaid sightings here in North America, and of course, in Africa, we we hear about a lot of them. Uh, how about in Oceania or some of the countries in Asia? Have um, have you come across any mermaid-like or merman type of sightings? So I didn't find any recent reports that were very. I want. I, I guess compelling, so to speak. Right. Uh, you would get like the occasional one. Um, but nothing sustained in like a particular area that would indicate like a population or anything like that. And there, there's definitely a lot tied up in folklore there. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, they are not in the book, um, but you know, there is still the, the interest and you, you could definitely find some sightings um, where that. Mm -hmm. I had, um, I had gotten a few. Now this is more uh, South Asia or mid, mid Middle East, but in uh, 
the Black Sea around Crimea, there have been some merman sightings. Uh, and in Iran, along the Caspian Sea, some of the fishermen in the Caspian Sea have talked about mm-hmm. seeing mermen. And uh, so there have been quite a few. Um, but as far as um, in other areas, I haven't really heard of many myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vincent wants to know about the pale humanoid creatures, what we, we call crawlers. I actually wrote a book about it. Uh, have you heard m- much about that in Asia? I have not. Um, so I, I, I can't recall offhand if I found any reports um, along those lines in mm-hmm. the area. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I don't think I came across any. Um you, you might be able to find reports from certain areas. I know a lot in um, the Pakistan area, there was a lot of uh, folklore creatures that came up as, as cryptids, but I couldn't find anyone basically reporting them in, you know, post 1500s, basically. Um, not that something couldn't exist beforehand. It's just as far as writing, it's a little, you know, complicated. Okay. Uh, Nancy Malcolm asked, uh, any new crypto reports from Japan where the nuke accident at uh, Fukushima happened a few years ago? You know, I, I, I do know that some people had reported, though, after the fact, that they saw Mothman or winged humanoids above the uh, the Fukushima plant. But uh, as far as in that area, I haven't heard of any. Have you heard of anything new in the area? Not anything new, although, right. uh, Nancy, you might find this of interest. Uh, the Hibigon, uh, which is one of the uh, cryptid primates from Japan, mm-hmm. um, one, of the, one of the explanations that I actually found put forward was that it was a survivor of the atomic bomb that was dropped mm. on Nagasaki. And, yeah, it was just you know, the survivor was just roaming around and everyone was mistaking them for, you know, a Sasquatch type creature. Um, I couldn't find any Japanese sources on that. Mm. Um, so I basically found it in one book that I had to get off the internet archive. So however much stock you want to put in that, but definitely something that did come up as far as, you know, a nuclear disaster. The, the only, um, Humanoid sighting that I, I know of in Japan, other than one winged humanoid sighting I got around Mount Mount Fiji years ago, was of course of the Kappa. Now people have talked about the Kappa for for centuries, and it's part of their folklore. I guess it's actually a deity to some people in, in Japan. Uh, what did you What did you come up with that? Do you remember any of that Kappa information that you uh, may have reported on or researched? Yeah, a lot of that is definitely based in current beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was definitely something that I did consider putting in the book, but it, it was basically equivalent to if I was writing about North America and I said, oh, yeah, a lot of people see angels. And, mm-hmm. you know, not not that, you know, like that's not worth writing about. Um, there's certainly some writings you could do on that. I just think from a cryptozoology standpoint, and dabbling into religious beliefs and such uh, doesn't doesn't work as well, and would require 
quite a lot of, you know, trying, trying to parse out like what is religious belief, what is, you know, genuinely seeing something, maybe, maybe even misinterpreting it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't want to say anything about anyone who's seen anything. Um, but, you know, if you do have a religious belief, you, you know, you see something weird and, you know, you might um, explain it using your religious wor world belief. Um, and that's, you know, again, that's something worth covering, just not from a cryptozoology standpoint. Right. Uh, Andrew Boyle asked about sea monsters. Of course, we're getting into Oceania now. And, um, you know, of course, we, we're very familiar with all the sea monster uh, sightings by the whalers and other seamen from, you know, from the United States and Canada. Uh, what have the, the islanders in the South Pacific and Oceania, what have they experienced? What do they talk about? Yeah, so there's quite a few different sea monsters, lake monsters in Japan. There's actually two. Uh, it's Kussi and Issy. Uh, both of whom live in landlocked lakes. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely very interesting. Uh, Cussie is one of, usually described as more of a plesiosaur, while Issy is described as eel-like. So, um, you know, you kind of have both sides of the coin. You know, usually when you talk about something like the Loch Ness Monster, you get the debate over whether it's like a plesiosaur, whether it's like an eel. So that was, that was definitely something interesting. There is also, I'm sure everyone's, you know, familiar with the Megalodon. Um, that does get reported from time to time. Um, definitely from a scientific perspective, I I guess would not, uh, I would not put money on it. Um, <laughs> but it is something that people have reported. Um, and, you know, I guess if they are still around, we'll have to get Jason Statham to, you know, protect us. <laughs> um and I'm trying to think of there. There are a couple other ones. Um, there is another one in Japan that's basically a huge octopus. Um, that is the uh, um, once again apologies to any Japanese viewers. Uh, the Akarokumia. Um, so just absolutely huge, um, you know, octopus. Um, you know, the reports would actually dwarf even the giant squid, which is pretty, pretty huge. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's definitely something where you, you kind of look at and you go, you know, especially when you're on the sea, you know, things can get a bit. So, but definitely, definitely interesting. Um, so, because I, I, that was another one I had never heard of before, so. Yeah, I, I uh, not long ago, was not too many years ago, there was an actual footage from a um, of a uh, large squid that a Japanese fisherman had pulled up, and um, and they pulled up some pretty decent sized uh, jellyfish as well, which I, I, I'm quite sure could be mistaken for some type of sea creature and oh. somebody's perspective, but uh, yeah, there there do seem to be some large out there of course we've all heard about the kraken and the other so-called uh, killer squid or killer octopus but um you know we we have had some footage of some some very large um 
of squid. Even down in Australia, there have been a, a few that have been captured and, and examined and looked at. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, they're yeah. out there. I'm quite sure yeah. they're out there. Uh, you know, yes, there's so little we know. Definitely very, very wild. You know, something like, you know, the giant squid and the colossal squid, where we basically only have a juvenile um, bodies. Mm-hmm. And you know they're 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 already huge, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so, you know it's like man I yeah I definitely don't want to fight a giant squid anytime soon. I, <laughs> uh, I think if I saw one I would just like no I'm, yeah I'm, I'm not good. going near that thing. Yeah, they can uh, chew you up pretty bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I um. You know, I've heard so many crazy stories over the years from people in Asia of different things. Um, of course, you know, the one that always fascinates me is the Mongolian death worm. That yes. thing, you know, and I I've, I know a couple of people who were in expeditions for these things. Um, they didn't necessarily find one, but, they, you know, some of the things they talked about. Uh, we're pretty hairy. I mean, I don't know what 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 do you believe is the the existence of these things? You think they're real? So I I couldn't really find anything that led me to think yes, this is definitely real. I have mm-hmm. you know pretty decent confidence, but at the same time, there wasn't anything that made me think this definitely doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of you know, researchers talking to people who live in the area saying, I, you know, like, you know, like there, that, that's, yeah, I, I don't know, my, my brother's cousin or something, you know, died, <laughs> died because a Mongolian death worm made him. Uh, but, you know, also genuine fear, concern. Um, so definitely something, some, something interesting is definitely going on there. I think mm-hmm. some of the more, outlandish um claims about it i know um it used to be um kind of part of the mythology that it could like shoot electrical currents um i i def you know if i was going to put money on the mongolian death worm i would definitely not put money down on any uh, laser uh electrical currents uh death worms but you know there is still you know, again, you know, going back to, um, you know, a lot of people who actually live in these areas mm-hmm. see these creatures and, you know, s- scientists and Westerners in general will just go, no, like that, that can't happen. Uh, that's just wrong. And then, you know, we've seen time and time again that, you know, the people who actually live there were right. Um, you know, with the coelacanth, the okapi, um, mountain gorillas, like there's just a whole list. Um, Absolutely. So, so, I mean, you know, when someone who actually lives in the area and multiple people who live in the area say, you know, like, you know, we've seen this thing for literal centuries, you know, it's kind of, you know, who am I to say, no, that, that doesn't, that that's wrong. You're wrong. Right. And I've never been to Mongolia, so I definitely don't have, you know, the knowledge every time to I say see that, that picture of the death worm, I think about the 
the the the huge worms from Dune. I don't know why, but it kind of reminds me <laughs> of it. Um, I, actually, it was yeah, it was funny. One of the things that came up while I was researching uh, the Mongolian deathworm was, and I am I'm blanking on the researcher's name. He actually did pass away uh, semi recently, uh-huh. but he would actually use um, like sound vibrations, so similar inspired by Dune, because um, obviously oh, really? the the worms would like. They yeah, they'd be attracted sound. to the vibration. Absolutely. Interesting. Exactly. And yeah, so that, he like developed like this device that you know, just <laughs> created like these minor tremors. Um, so definitely, definitely interesting. So there is definitely a lot of, you know, crossover with Dune lore, I suppose. <laughs> uh, Logan asks, um, any recent sightings or information on the Ninjin? Uh, he says they're fairly convincing pictures and uh, and videos. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of those ninja pictures before. I don't know how real they are. Uh, they they kind of see, seem obscure to me, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, so I honestly, I wouldn't say I looked too far into it. Again, that's a lot of trying to find the difference between cryptozoology and the folklore behind it and mm-hmm. more paranormal uh, things. And obviously a lot of that can be a very hard line to draw. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not something that I would say I particularly looked into. Um, so, but definitely, definitely something interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Luna also mentioned something which is interesting about thought forms and uh, being associated with cryptids. He talks about Slender Man. You know, and this is something else that I've looked at in my research as far as thought forms, people uh, mind manifesting these creatures. And, uh, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of cryptozoologists have, have written about that. You know, tulpas are, uh, are thought forms, uh, not necessarily relics, but something being thought manifested and uh, appearing. Right. Uh, and I, I believe that's entirely possible. What do you think about that? Yeah, I usually, I wouldn't say I put, you know, I'm very into um, the more paranormal um, explanations for cryptids. Mm-hmm. You know, I know, I know there's a pretty decently common one where, you know, Bigfoot is either an alien or some kind of, you know, teleporting creature. Mm-hmm. And I, I, again, like I, I don't, you know, I, I can't say whether that's not a thing. Well, you're not um, going to hurt my feelings because I believe there's some connection there. But, you know, you can say what you want to say. That's what you're on here for. Yeah, no. yeah it's, you know, I've met I've met a ton of researchers who yeah. do a lot of great research on, you know, the connection there. Um, I think from my personal standpoint, it's looking at, you know, the more physical manifestations and again you know i I think as long as everyone's kind of just respecting each other and you know all working towards like this common goal of figuring out what's going on you know i don't have a problem with it personally i i don't know how long you've been involved with the community as far as cryptozoology and cryptids and such but there has been a big chasm between the flesh and blood and the uh the supernatural cryptid theories uh yes i it, yeah it's, I, re- I remember 
I, there I are live people that are more open to it now, but yes. there used to be a, a large chasm and a lot of arguments. You, you would go to a um, you would go to a conference maybe 10, 15 years ago, and you'd have researchers there arguing with each other out in the open about it. And um, and I, but more recently, I think it's gotten to the point now since you know a lot of these things haven't showed up physically. Or we have no mm-hmm. evidence of them. In particular, I'm talking about Bigfoot or mm-hmm. canine cryptids or such. That you know, some are not, some people are starting to open up and say, "Well, maybe there is something to that." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, again, like I don't discount the paranormal at all. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I definitely do remember a lot of the a lot of the you know in person fights. Never, you know, ignoring like you know just huge fights and Facebook groups and such. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in Texas at the time. So there was a lot of talk of, well, if people keep shooting at Bigfoot and they keep missing, you know, um, you know, where, where's the body? Um, so yeah, I, you know, again, that's just not something that, you know, if, if I could dedicate my whole life to finding cryptids, I don't think that's really an, you know, an avenue that I would really pursue, but you know, if it, if it's true, you know, um, why do you you think we haven't found any real physical evidence of cryptids for the most part? Yeah. I think it kind of varies by cryptid. Um, And I know that's kind of a cop-out answer. Um, Something like, Bigfoot, and admittedly, that is not my um, main area of research. Right. But things are pretty quick to decompose, and some something is, you know, like humanity's had burial rituals for, you know, centuries, mm-hmm. um, and you know, like there's there's Neanderthals where we've seen them have these funeral burial rituals. Um, so who's to say that a semi-advanced primate doesn't also have something like that? Um, and now that I'm saying that, I think chimpanzees or gorillas have something relatively similar. Um, so or maybe they eat each other. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know some chimpanzees will actually do that. Uh, yes. from, yeah. So, mm. I think, I think bonobos do too. So. Mm, bonobos do. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, well, so, you know, go ahead. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think it does just kind of depend by cryptid. Um, mm-hmm. And some of them, you know, um, honestly, some of them just might not exist. Um, I don't want to say like, oh, yeah, this definitely doesn't exist. Um, mm-hmm. But there is, you know, that thing, um, you know, that, you know, that thought. Um, but also a lot of like cryptids in um, Asia and Oceania, they are in those areas that aren't necessarily being explored frequently and going back to, you know, decomposing, um, you know, like, let's say you have, um, you know, like an orang pendek and it passes away. It, you know, like it just dies in the forest one day. It might be years before someone even steps in like a square kilometer of that area. Oh, absolutely. And by that by that point, something might have picked off the bones, uh, the skin's gone. 
So it's, yeah, it's definitely something that varies by cryptid. Um, so, you know, um, and, you know, again, I would never say, oh, no, like, you know, like this, this theory is definitely wrong unless there is something, you know, very wrong with it. Um, but I don't think with, you know, the paranormal or extraterrestrial Bigfoot or other cryptids, like, I don't think that's like inherently wrong. Right. And, uh, you know, again, as long as we're all collaborating to figure out uh, the mystery, I, I think that's all that matters. You know, you know, like detectives working together, if they have different culprits in mind, they don't start yelling at each other or what well, happened. I, I, I wish it was like that, but realistically, it just does not turn out that way many times. That's true. Uh, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Vincent wanted to know, and I did too, uh, have you had any encounters yourself or cryptids or even the paranormal? So not with cryptids, although interestingly enough, I was in Point Pleasant in 2009. Mm -hmm. I believe it was July or August. And um, I was actually staying in the room that John Keel had been in when he was writing the Mothman Prophecies. Mm -hmm. um, my parents specifically booked that because I was very fascinated with Mothman. And at one point I, I had gotten up to go get water from, you know, the, um, the in-suite bathroom. Mm -hmm. And then I was coming back out and I, I kind of like looked to the right and there was like this white haze in the mirror. Um, and I was like, oh, uh, this is, <laughs> uh, I don't like that. Um, so I like hid under the covers and you know, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was like clutching the Bible. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And I kept like peeking out to see if it had gone away. But it was, it, you know, regardless of like the angle you were looking at, it was just kind of always there. Um, and, you know, eventually I just, <laughs> I, I got up and I ran to my parents' room and I was like, switch rooms with me. <laughs> I want to stay with mom. And my dad slept there and he didn't see anything. So right. <laughs> uh, very interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, Point Pleasant uh, kind of grows on people. I've been there yeah. several times. I went, you know, I'm, I have always been fascinated with the Mothman and winged humanoids. I had an encounter back in 88 myself and uh, yeah, it's um uh, and of course, our team has been involved with the Chicago Mothman uh, phenomena for since well, 2011. Uh, and we've written several books about them. So yeah, I but you know it all comes back to Point Pleasant, and um, yeah, there there's just something about that town. It's it's not just the Mothman. There's just so much going on there. Yes. Uh, it's, um, uh, and the, it's the TNT area too. Like, uh, yeah. we, did go, we did go explore that and it, did you? yeah, it, it, there's just a, a feeling. It's not even necessarily, yeah. you know, I've heard people when they describe like paranormal experience, they're like, you know, I just felt like this evil in the room and it wasn't necessarily that it was just odd, you know? <laughs> I, I think, particularly in the McClintock or uh, the West Virginia Ordnance Works area, the people call the TNT plant, um, I, I believe there's some very strong indigenous energy there. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
you know, I have heard a ton of EVPs coming out of there. I've heard things myself being there. I've researched the area a couple times over the years myself and have been with other people. And, uh, you know, it never fails to amaze me with something. There's something always turns up. And, of course, uh, and, you know, the Mothman sightings are still taking place in the area, that whole county um, and, and the old area overall. I mean, we, we have had a, a, a fair amount of winged humanoid or Mothman sightings in there, plus other things. So, uh, yeah, that town is, uh, there's something about Point Pleasant. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, um, I think it's that Mothman statue. I think it's cursed. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, um, I've had people tell me that before. I've had people who said they've had pictures taken with those things, with that thing, and uh, it just freaks them out. I don't know. Um, I remember, yeah, back in back in the day when I was when I was in middle school, um, one of my one of my my science teacher actually dared me to do a whole presentation on cryptozoology because I was always use cryptid examples for um, for like projects and such. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then on my Mothman slide, I I had a photo of that statue. Mm-hmm. And every time I see the statue, it just makes me laugh because I could just remember my teacher going, hold up, Carol, does does that thing have like six pack abs? <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, that statue has always fascinated me because quite honestly, it doesn't look anything like any of the descriptions of that thing. To be honest right. with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it looks more like what we've been seeing out in Chicago as opposed to what we saw in Point Pleasant. Right. And, uh, you know, with the big bulging red eyes and, um, and the kind of actual human body. I mean, you know, they called it Mothman for a reason because it looked like a friggin' moth. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, you know, everybody, people I talk, they always bring up the Mothman Prophecies movie. But quite frankly, if you, they hadn't read Mothman Prophecies book, then they're yeah. just really missing out because the movie really did not do the book justice whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I remember. Uh, yeah, when I was when I was very into Mothman studies, I so I read the book and then I watched the movie, and I think that was the first time as a kid that I, um, you know, had that experience of the book is better than the movie, mm-hmm. um, which is you know usually people just complain about Harry Potter or such, but. Um, no, it was, it was the Mothman prophecies for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, for my son and I, you know, my son and I both read the Da Vinci code and, uh, we went to see the movie and uh, we were really disappointed, <laughs> but I, I, that has, that happens a lot. I mean, uh, there's a, there's a lot of big movies that really do not do the book of justice whatsoever. So, um, yeah, that's unfortunate. So, uh, you know, you've tackled cryptids of Asia and Oceania this time. Do you have any plans to write about any cryptids or any other paranormal or uh, supernatural subjects? So I I, every time someone asks me that, I've been saying I, you know, I don't really have a plan for anything. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I I think I do want to do like a full deep dive on the Netawo, the, the Sri Lankan cryptid that I mentioned. 
Mm -hmm. I just think, I, th I think there's a lot there and it hasn't gotten a lot of attention, whether from, you know, cryptozoologists or from, you know, mainstream researchers of any kind. And, you know, I, I you know, I really like to just kind of deep dive into that. Um, okay. But otherwise, I don't have any plans for, you know, a sequel um, or, you know, focus on a different region or anything. Um, you know, just kind of maybe, maybe something will strike my fancy, but otherwise no firm plans. Yeah. Well, I said that, too, when I started when I wrote my first book mm -hmm. and then nine books later, you know, you know, uh, so, um, yeah, that, that does happen, but no, I, I mean, I, I, I think you should actually find us, like you said, find a subject that really fascinates you and go deep into it. Uh, you know, that Sri Lankan crypt that I, I be honest with you, I'd never heard of it or I don't remember it. So absolutely. I'd say go for it. Right on. Yeah. So, uh, do you have any? Uh, do you have any conferences or uh, anything like that scheduled? Or are you going to be uh, doing book signings or doing anything like that sort? So, I don't have anything planned as far as conferences or specific book signings go. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, but you know, if you do want to sign copy, uh, feel free to honestly reach out to beyond the fray. I'd be happy to do that for any listener who's interested. Um, you can also get my contact information. If you read the book and you're just curious about one of the cryptids, usually pretty much everything I research got put in there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for some of the cryptids, there wasn't a lot, so kind of had to put everything in there. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, uh, yeah. And I, I would love to go to a conference. I, you know, again, back when I was living in Texas, we would go to the Texas Bigfoot Research Conference like every mm -hmm. year. Um, so I would definitely love to be able to go to a conference, give a presentation, sign some books, get to know people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that would be a ton of fun. So. Well, you're young yet, so uh, you got a long way you can go. Um and it's nice to see younger folks get involved with this, with cryptozoology. Mm -hmm. um, it's just not as old farts that are doing it. And there's a lot of younger people getting involved with it as well. You, you may actually want to start, and I don't know if you have a website or not, you may want to start doing some type of updates and stuff to keep mm -hmm. people informed. Um, it may help you in selling books and getting people interested in your research. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something, you know, might definitely consider. Um, I, I should also mention, um, I guess, while we're asking about uh, my, you know, future plans and such. So my, my, my father is actually now working for the Center for Portrait Zoology as uh, the Canadian chair. So he is working on getting a group to go to a particular park to go on a Sasquatch expedition. So mm. if anyone is interested in that, I would definitely, re you know, reach out to the Center for Fortran Zoology. Um, my dad's David Scott. So uh, tell him. Tell oh, him I, I didn't know that. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. So, you know, and we can get that set up. I will definitely be going to that. So that will be my first Sasquatch expedition. So we'll see how that goes. Well, excellent. 
Well, Carol, thanks for coming on tonight. It was great having you. And, uh, you know, any updates, come let me know. All right. Definitely. Great talking to you. You take and care. And have everyone who um, came out. Okay. You have a good weekend now. Yeah, you too. <clears throat> so if uh, you have a sighting or encounter report that you'd like considered for the personal report show, or post to the fans of Monster, please feel free to forward to my email at lonstrickler.com. Excuse me, lonstricklerfamsofmonsters.com, sorry. Um, and uh, I want to thank Carol Scott for joining me this evening. And thanks to each and all of you for watching and chatting. And if you made a Super Chat donation, it's truly appreciated. Uh, your support is what makes all this possible. So please like, subscribe, share, and even comment. So... Next Friday, we are going to conduct a flying cryptid roundtable, and our guest will be Ken Gerhard, Ron Murphy, and Jason McLean. So that'll be a quite interesting show. Uh, I hope you all consider take some time and, and come on live and and uh, present some questions to these guys. You know, this is a this is a great lineup, of course, with Ken there. And Ron and Jason, they, they're all deeply involved with the flying cryptids and other cryptozoologies, uh, other cryptids as well. So uh, please, uh, it should be quite an interesting roundtable. So stay tuned for Bernadette McDaniel's A Paranormal Life here on Phantoms of Monster Radio at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific time. So uh, until we meet again, stay healthy and be safe.